Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Jacob Milicic. I am one of your hosts. Joining me, uh, I would say as always, but I'll get into why that's funny now <laughs> later, is Matthew Westfox, another of our hosts. Matthew, how are you doing this evening? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I will admit it's a bit of a bittersweet evening, as we're going to talk about more in a second, but I'm uh, good, and I think it's going to be a really exciting topic we're talking about tonight. Yeah, uh, so the news is Matthew and I are never going to talk with each other or interact with each <laughs> other ever again after tonight. Uh, now, So what, what's happening is I've got another project coming up that I'm going to be getting involved with, uh, and because of that, my bandwidth for doing things like recording this podcast has become strained to the point where I regrettably have to step away from superhero ethics for a bit. Um, and so Matthew and I have talked about this. Uh, he let me set the topic for the evening uh, as sort of my my send-off. I don't know how long it'll be before uh, I'm on superhero ethics again. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment to say that it has been delightful, my time here as a regular host. Uh, I've enjoyed many of our conversations, many of our guests. Um, I've gone out and read books now that I wouldn't have read uh, if it hadn't been for uh, us having Becky Allen on, I got to relive my joy of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, <laughs> when we had Just Plummer on. Um, just a lot of, and I got to bring some some things to the podcast that uh, I think weren't being covered before in, in so Definitely. talking about novels, talking about uh, a couple of graphic novels we had the episode of Red Sun. I've gotten, so so I've gotten a lot of of joy out of this and and hopefully have provided some at least interesting thoughts to the people who listen so for everybody out there uh thank you very much and uh unless you have something else to say i would like to introduce our topic yeah i'll i'll just say quickly jacob it's been a a great pleasure having you on the show i think as you said you added quite a lot Certainly, you've done a lot to um, increase our sound quality and done a a huge amount of editing and engineering and taught me quite a lot. Um, And hopefully, you're going to teach me some of that before you step away entirely. Uh, But if our sound quality goes down um, significantly after you leave, uh, just direct all angry emails to BotsRPeople2 at Twitter. Um, But in all seriousness, um, you've you've gotten me to think in different ways about a lot of things. You've gotten me more interested in a lot of comic book stuff and video game stuff, uh, one of which we're actually going to be talking about today. And I think I've just been a – when I conceived of this topic uh, of this podcast, you really brought uh, a sensibility that was exactly the kind of thing I was hoping for and have really helped me expand and grow this podcast. And it's going to continue doing those things, and I'm looking forward to having you um, on as a guest host from time to time. uh, but we will definitely miss you and, and, and wish you all in your new endeavors. And I know um, I know something about what Jacob's doing, and I think it's going to be something that uh, a lot of our listeners uh, are probably going to actually really enjoy. Um, and we'll say more about that uh, probably in a couple weeks once Jacob's ready to announce that for sure. Um, and I will say, if nothing else, we know at least one more time when Jacob will be re- recording with us, which is coming up in a couple of months uh, in May, we are actually going to, as part of my uh, bachelor shenanigans, have myself, Jacob, and Paul Hoppy, all three of the main hosts, all in the same room. So we have no idea what we'll be recording about. Um, this is not like I have most a pitch bachelor. For that. Yeah, <laughs> this will not be like most bachelor parties. So we will likely all be sober, but you know who the heck knows. Um, so it'll be a quite a good uh, conversation. But 
Till then, well, you, um, you say that, but you have mentioned that you, uh, the back of your head, you always thought about maybe doing an episode of Drunk Ethics. So that's true. That's true. Now, in fairness, I've not been drunk in twenty-two years, but you know, anything's Same. possible. So uh, that's not a challenge. Anyway, though, um, yeah, I when you told me that, that you were leaving, I said, well, for your last episode, let's really give you a chance to kind of run with the stuff you want to talk about. Uh, and I said, what would be the the topic you would most want to kind of dive into? Uh, and I love what you suggested. So take us away. What are we talking about today? So I think the best way to frame this is actually what I titled the document for the show notes so for our outline for this, which is when the good do the bad and it's ugly. Uh, so this is a topic that I've I've been sort of uh, percolating on this idea for a while uh, and there are multiple properties that this hits multiple multiple media properties that this hits but the central theme is that it's when we have people who are ostensibly our heroes our protagonists um, and they're doing things that are ethically questionable to ethically repugnant somewhere on that spectrum um, in order to advance their cause their agenda whatever that right. be in that point um, and so generally speaking, the, the topic is about when the, when our heroes aren't doing things that we would want our heroes to do in, you know, in an ideal world. And so it's, it's when things get messier, right? And so generally speaking, uh, Matthew, I know we've bounced some ideas, uh, in our sort of group chat around, but, uh, what are your thoughts on this as, as a topic? I think it's a really good one, and I think it, it connects in a lot of ways to things we often talk about. Um, and especially, uh, you know, we just came off an episode about the Watchmen, and one of the things that we talked about there is that kind of a fun foundational topic of this whole show is the question of who are heroes accountable to? And I think, you know, it, it this question, I think, is kind of another way of looking at that same question, but from a very different angle, because... What all this comes down to is once people have these powers and they start thinking that they should be, you know, trying to do good in the world, they're generally stepping outside of what are the legally understood authorities to do good or to try and fix things or to stop people from doing bad. And in a lot of these stories, it's because those authorities aren't doing their job or can't do their job or are corrupt or whatever it is. And there's reasons. But what we almost have is a story about people who are not accountable in the normal ways. And I, I think the, the, the time when that really gets to be a problem is when a hero says, for the good that I am envisioning, I think doing this bad thing is okay because it's justified by where we're going. And sometimes that's right, and a lot of times it's wrong. And I frankly think it's one of the most fascinating questions about this whole concept of superheroes. So, yeah, I think I think this is one of those topics where we've probably touched on it in a lot of ways in a lot of different episodes, but it's really going to be good to really get down to brass tacks and talk about it because I'm trying to imagine a hero other than Superman. And maybe it's Superman's boring because he doesn't ever ask this question. And, and the couple of times Superman does it, Superman does what makes it most interesting, but almost every hero probably on some level, we're asking this question of to what extent are they breaking eggs to make the omelet? Exactly. Yeah, I you said it perfectly. Uh, this is just about 
oftentimes it, it to me it seems as though we come up against this when our heroes have reached the limits of their capabilities mm-hmm. and aren't able to achieve their objective and so then it becomes a question of well do i compromise my principles right. in order to achieve that objective and how far does that go right um right and so th- there's this there's this question of does it matter more doing the maximal amount of good or to not compromise your values not compromise those principles that you hold dear like what if what if, if you if you do that even if you achieve the most good you know are you still a hero are you still that hero that that you started the story with right well and i think i would actually push it a little bit in a different way which is i think your own personal ethics are very your personal values are very important but i also think it's worth asking like what happens when you're so focused on the thing you're supposed to do that your own values change pretty dramatically. Um, you know, like to me, Punisher is, and I, he's one we're going to talk about a good deal. He's one who I think everything he does is within his own values because his values, his personal integrity is that if criminals are criminals, then anything is justified against them. Um, and I think his values are are deeply out of whack with the rest of us. And that's where the problem lies. So I, I, I think asking it about it, their own values is good, but also a question of, do, is it appropriate for us to judge their values and to judge whether even if they're holding to their values, that, that we still think they're being heroic? Right. Uh, and on the flip side, uh, so, so sort of springboarding off of that in a different direction, because so many of them have a greater capacity than you or I, should they be should we be holding them to a higher standard than we would hold you or I to ethically uh, yeah. in these situations right so it's sort of like with, with Punisher obviously other than the fact that he's a bullet sorcerer there's nothing supernatural going on there <laughs> right um but like so, so it makes his Frank Castle's particular position all the more curious right right that you're right that his particular framework, his principles, aren't being violated, I would say, most of the time. There are some situations yeah. with, um, uh, in season two with his ward, basically, that uh, I right. think are him crossing his own lines without realizing it because he's got some mental trauma problems. Um, well, and, yeah. And, and I think one thing that happens with a lot of heroes is... The first time they do something, it probably violates their values. But then by the 30th or 50th, their values have shifted. Um, and that's, I think, another int- kind of interesting dynamic here. But to, to kind of start with the question, that I think you're going, I, I think you were going towards the question to start with of should heroes be held to a higher standard? Sure. Yeah. Um, this is one I go round and round about with because on the one hand, and we talked about this during Watchmen, I feel like. If a hero had, I, I guess for me, a lot of it comes down to the degree of agency and choice that a hero has in being a hero. Um, I do think that if you have made a conscious choice to say, I think that the authorities of our world um, are, uh, you know, not doing the right thing and I need to step in and help. And I have these great powers that can do that. Well, you know, I, I do think that it is required to be held to a higher standard. Um, and maybe it's just the standard. I mean, uh, you know, if, if I'm in a bar and someone punches me, 
the standard of like what I am legally allowed to do in terms of punching back, in theory, at least, if a cop is in the same situation, that cop is held to a higher standard of what they are allowed to do. Uh, obviously, in our world, that doesn't mostly hold true. Um, but I, but I, I think in that same kind of a way, like if a hero is appointing themselves an authority figure uh, or a force for justice or for law or good, I think it's perfectly legitimate to hold them to a higher standard and say, yeah, you especially given that greater power you have, you know, I, I walk through the world as someone who it'd be pretty hard for me to do much damage to someone. And so if I, you know, if I accidentally step on someone's foot, it's not going to do that much damage. If when I accidentally step on someone's foot, it's possibly going to crush their foot and leave them forever immobile. Like, yeah, I think I have a higher responsibility. Um, where it gets complicated, of course, is with someone like Luke Cage, who doesn't choose to have these powers, who doesn't necessarily choose to become this hero. Um, so I'm sort of equivocating because I think it's a hard question. I'm not really sure. But I think I, for the most part, I lean towards the idea that, yes, there is a higher standard, but that it, it the standard to me goes even further up the more that the person has had some agency in either having these powers or in choosing to use them in the ways they are. Well. And you, you come right immediately to the main reason that I thought this was such a good topic to discuss, because it is, it, we're, it's a bunch of different situations, a bunch of different scenarios that we're going to be talking about where, you know, it's really hard to say whether or not, well, what's right, what's wrong. Uh, when, when Jessica Jones is dealing with time pressure and... If she doesn't get an answer to her burning question out of this bloke, right, someone's going to die, is it okay that she, you know, just grabs them by the throat and raises them up against a wall to intimidate them into talking? Is that right. level of torture acceptable, right? It's it's a tough question, and it's not one that I feel, you know, qualified to answer definitively. Uh, I guess for me, I do think that when it comes to just you know, what, what principles I would like them to have, you know, I don't think they have the, I don't, I think you can hold heroes to a higher standard insofar as, um, you know, I'm not going to be tolerant of a hero who sees, who has, who has adopted that stance, who said, I'm, I am going to become an agent of justice because not enough is being done by the people who are entrusted by society with those responsibilities. I'm not going to be cogent. I'm not going to be okay with them uh, looking over and seeing an injustice and going, eh, right. not today. I'm really tired, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, inaction, not okay. Uh, action, cool. But when it comes to, you know, what lines are okay for them to cross, I, I do feel like it's highly situational, right? Right. It almost depends on, you know, what, what the consequence is, I want to say. So you kind of have to evaluate it on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, yeah. is, it, is it acceptable here? Uh, which then leads to, as, as you very eloquently put it earlier, uh, that, that slippery slope situation where the very first time they do something, it makes them uncomfortable. But then they've done it. Yeah. Right? And so it becomes easier the next time. We see this actually in the Winchesters in Supernatural. This happens with them as they as they slide further and further down what they're willing to do and what they're willing to let go. Uh, you know, we, we go from them going, well, 
if we are capable of killing a demon, we gotta kill a demon, to literally working with the person running hell in one season because that's what they, at that point, that's what they need to do. But, right. you know, so so it's that that very situation propagates this this downslide in this is sort of natural, very organic downslide in a character's principles. And that is the part that I'm not very comfortable with. Yeah, right? and I, I think that I think you're right, especially because I mean, the thing is that principles and values are very gray. Um, they're hard to define. And I, I think and this is why I always go back to the topic of accountability. I think one of the biggest problems is when a hero believes they're doing good and thinks that the the hard things they're doing to do good are justified because they don't have perspective. Um, you know, Frank Castle to me is a perfect example of this because Frank Castle is someone who I think of him as the poster boy for getting confused between justice and revenge, um, where his personal need to bring closure and, and punishment literally to the people who, who wronged him and who killed his family um, he's, he's not, you know, he's telling himself that he's doing this for justice and to protect others, but he's clearly acting out of a desire for vengeance. And I think with a lot of heroes, um, Captain America is another one who I, I think of in this kind of realm where, you know, what he is doing, he thinks for, um, you know, it, 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 it turns out he is correct about the winter soldier being innocent, but the degree to which he's willing to go to protect the winter soldier uh, and then to take other steps, um, you know, you sort of wonder how much of that is his principles and how much of that is his personal sense of loyalty towards this particular person. Um, and, and I think that's something that comes up for our heroes a lot. And uh, and it's not to kind of take this even into a new direction, but it's one reason why I think I've commented in the in the past on this show. I've become more and more a fan of hero hero teams instead of individuals because. I really like those moments where one person where where they can hold each other accountable. Um, the Arrowverse in particular is very good at this with both Arrow, the Flash and even Legends of Tomorrow. In each of them, you often have episodes where one particular character gets very fixated on one particular thing and is saying like, well, I think it's justified to do this or it's justified to do that. And the other characters are the ones who can kind of sort of put an arm on him and say or her and say, you know, I get it. I know this is a good thing and it's something we need to do, but you've lost focus and you're not able to see that the things you want to do are maybe over the line. Yeah, exactly. Having, having the other individuals there who ostensibly have a shared set of values and who are dealing with the same situations and are able to witness you and are qualified because they're, you know, in, they, you are entrusting each other with this sort of, of oversight qualified to tell you, Hey, I think you crossed a line here. Exactly. It's very, very important uh, when you're dealing with, with stories like this. And so I, I agree. I actually really like when superhero teams do that. And when the characters have those conversations with each other, because I think it does stop that backsliding. Right. You know, uh, it stops the, you know, somebody says, Hey, you're crossing a line. And you know, that can be the, the, the Jiminy cricket for that character to say, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that again. Right. And, and I wonder, and I, cause I think it's important to think about that with this issue, it goes both ways that I think there are times when 
we look to see a character saying like, why aren't you holding to your ethics and, and, and holding that back? Do you think that under this umbrella though, I mean, we're talking about it mostly when it goes that way, but I'm wondering, do you also see under this umbrella, the opposite where maybe a hero could do good and like their, their personal values are, are holding them back. Um, uh, to me, I think the classic example of this is Batman and the idea yes. of, you know, should Batman kill the Joker knowing that the Batman, that A, the chances of Joker being reformed are very low and that in the legal and penal system that exists in Gotham, the chance of Joker actually being kept in prison and thus unable to do harm again is also quite low. Um, so is is Batman wrong to to keep his values of not killing him? I I think Batman's right to still do it, to still not kill. But it's it's I appreciate that more recent tellings of the Batman story have really you know played with that question. And, and this is also this has also come up in uh, Daredevil season three, right? right. Where uh, Matt Murdock makes the decision, and you know within the the structure of the narrative, it is completely correct to make the decision not to kill uh, Wilson Fisk. But in that moment, it does feel as though he might, and it's challenging because there's a part of me that goes, well, I guess that's fair. Yeah. It's it's not, you know, it's not something I'm particularly comfortable with. I don't actually condone uh, murder in, in any sense, obviously. Yeah. But it, there are situations where we're confronted, so this is that uh, the question I asked earlier where, you know, if compromising your personal integrity, if compromising your principles means that you're able to stop more bad, is that correct? And I, I again, I don't think there is a clear yes or no answer to that yeah. broad question. But I think it is something to consider in these situations. Uh, this happens also with uh, Superman in stories where Superman is allowed to be slightly flawed, um, where his his desire to be like the Boy Scout and not get his hands dirty does get in the way of his ability to do what he wants to do. Right. You know, where he's not willing to, he's not willing to, for example, like run for office against Luther uh, in one storyline when Luther's running for president. Not to uh, cross promote, but in, um, uh, uh, on my other podcast, the star Wars universe podcast, uh, just yesterday I recorded an episode with, um, uh, Riki and Sarah Hayashi, who I know, you know, um, and, and actually we were talking about an episode of the TV show, The Clone Wars, where they go to a planet that is where the, the, the people on that planet are decidedly pacifist and they don't want to get involved in the fight between the, the, the two, two sides in the Star Wars story. And you get into a situation where the people are probably going to be exterminated unless they fight back and many of them fight back. And at the end of the episode, they've won the fight and they're celebrating and and they say to kind of the person who was the last holdout on pacifism, you know, well, look, we survived. Isn't that good? And he says, yes, but at what cost? Um, and that's the last line of the episode. And I, I find it haunting and powerful because part of what he's saying is that maybe it would have been better to to lose rather than to win and change our fundamental values. Um, and and that's where the, the hero question becomes so important because – you know, if that's a question of your own survival, then maybe maybe there is something to saying like I'm I'd rather I'd rather die or I'd rather lose this fight rather than you know give up my principles. 
But now yeah. what if a bunch of innocent people are counting on you to fight for them and you've take you've in some level taken on the responsibility to fight for them? Is it now okay for you to sort of shrug their shoulders and say, like, to me, there's a very big difference between it's better that I die rather than fight my lose my principles is very different than it's better it's it's better that they die or it's better that we die, um, you know, rather than me violate my principles. Um, it's actually a brilliant segue. Uh, cool. Believe it or not, into the the impetus behind this particular topic. Yes. Um, which is Persona Five. Um, so Matthew has not played persona 5 nor has witnessed somebody playing the game um so i'm not going to talk too much in the specific um but is it's a it is a story that has this situation constantly thrown at you and i think in in very challenging ways because you are in control of the protagonists right and you don't get to shoot you don't get to make these moral decisions like the choices you play the game and you do these things or you don't play the game uh, and in this particular situation, um, the only means that our heroes have to help better the world around them involves literally changing the minds uh, through supernatural means of of the villains of the piece. Right. Um, and they do this. Uh, and, and to be very clear, the reason why this is because uh, I know we've talked about this in the past and I've come down really hard on the side of messing with people's brains is morally repugnant and unconscionable, right? So I'm very, very hard no on this in almost any situation you present me. Right. What's challenging particularly about this story is that, first of all, the evils that are being done are wretched. Um, so before I, I get into any of that uh if any of our listeners have, um, I, I actually don't know how to preface this. I'm trying to avoid well, uh, triggering let, people. Let, let me actually ask this: Do we need to talk about? Can we just explain? Can we just go with these are wretchedly horrible, awful things? Or do you think it's particularly important that we go into the specifics? I mean, I feel like the specifics really, really draw the line. Really, really explain why it's so important that. This is a question rather than just being a note still not acceptable. But, you know, maybe maybe I don't have to go into too much specifics. Uh, the very first villain of the piece is doing something that I don't think anybody in the universe thinks is, is acceptable. Um, and uh, somebody does... It, it costs a life. Uh, somebody takes their own life because of the mental trauma from the situation. Like, it's really bad. Mm. Um and but and the only means our heroes have, the only agency they have, is through the use of this power to literally change the other. They call it a change of heart to really literally cause this change of heart right. in other people. And for me, that's very challenging because I'm not sure it's you know ethically sound to do so. But at the same time, it's hard for me to fault them taking the the one means they have of stopping this very bad thing from happening and using it. It right. almost feels like I would judge them for not using it. And these are high school students, right? And the idea is that yes. this is happening in a high school, but there's nothing that can be done. Right. Because they're, they're all, you know, in their uh, mid late teens, but still age of minority uh, situation. And 
all of the people involved, all of the, all of the villains in the piece, are, are full-fledged adults with careers well-established. And so a big, a big theme that keeps repeating itself is that people aren't listening to the younger generation when they're saying that they're noticing all of these problems, right? Right. Uh, they're not they're not listening they're not paying attention they're or they're turning a blind eye looking the other way etc right um and so our heroes other than this are completely powerless to affect positive change in the world and i think that is one of the things that i think is also important because like contract we, we've kind of set up uh punisher as the straw man in this conversation but i think he's he fits that role well one of the things that frustrates me about him is that i don't think the world that he's in always meets the the Gotham police test of there is literally no other way to go forward. Um, one of the things that I like most about the Christopher Nolan Batman movies is that part of what it establishes is that Bruce Wayne feels like he's only doing this because the police and the and the the DAs and the judges are also corrupt and that he the minute those things aren't true, he's gonna stop. Um mm-hmm. and that's part of like I feel like in the Punisher world, obviously there is uh, a lot of problems with the police and the DAs, but he's very quick to say like, well, just, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to try. Um, and so what I think we're talking about here is at least a clear situation where, as you said, the kids involved have no other recourse. Um, and to be clear, I think we, we're, we're not going to get too into the, the, the specifics of what they've done, but just to, to give a little more of a picture, what, what we're talking about here is adults who are uh, abusing kids in in all the ways that that can happen in, in and and are clearly having you know destroying the lives of these kids in, in at least one instance uh, literally leading a kid towards taking their own life. Um, right. So uh, so I, I think we kind of have two things here. We have on the one hand we have established that uh, or, or uh, to me it's like we have the three factors that I think make it most likely that that I'm going to be able to justify this. Um, one, there is literally no other recourse to stop the problem. The problem that is happening is truly heinous and evil and is, is leading to the destruction of lives. And three, um, the uh, – I just forgot what the third one was going to be. Um, oh, yeah, okay. And three, it is something that is going to keep happening if our protagonists don't act. Is that is that a yes. fair understanding of the situation? Yes, um, 100%. Yeah, that's. And so this is the one time where I I think to myself maybe it might be okay. It's not great. I don't like it. Right. But absent the alternative is to allow uh, these abuses some some more heinous than others. I, there's one character who's 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 uh, mentoring a bunch of art students and mm-hmm. stealing their art and branding it as his own to then to keep his image right like right repugnant not nearly as bad as some of what the other characters do but you know each of these situations there's no other recourse available to our heroes um and they do have this power right so like to me not only do i go you know what yeah all right i'm on board but i think they kind of have to well and that that question there that gets to kind of exactly the thing I was talking about at the beginning of the show, which is, and I, I think the best description I can give of this is the, you know, when you're a, when you're a hammer, every problem starts to look like a nail. Um, one of the concerns that I often have, and again, I've not played the game, so I'm not sure, 
But to me, when I get to the point where something like that art teacher you're talking about is the problem, um, you start to wonder to where is the line of, you know, I have convinced myself that it is morally okay to take this action against someone who is truly morally evil and where the damage that they're doing is truly repugnant and has to be stopped. Um, so what happens when your definition of what is evil enough to um, justify that starts growing? And this art teacher thing, I think, is clearly a um, uh, not as evil, but also still pretty horrible and can do incredible damage to people's lives. Um, but I'm not sure if I'd be as quick to justify that. And I also wonder, you know, is there that, that problem that the line is going to keep growing further and further and further? Um, do the characters in the game ever have that kind of a explicit conversation? Or, or is there ever a time where they say, okay, well, that teacher is, you know, an asshole and is terrible, but that, that person is not far enough for us to, to, to take this action? Absolutely. Uh, okay. uh, there, are, there are multiple instances where they, uh, even within the ones they're going after, where they sort of challenge each other, because uh, some of them are more gung-ho than others. Some of them are a little bit drunk on the power and are reined in by some of the others, right? It's the superhero team thing, uh, which is why I was saying that was a brilliant segue because mm. you have that dynamic because you have multiple people with this capability and the team grows uh, over time as the story evolves, you have more people keeping each other in check and challenging each other's assumptions about whether or not it's okay to do this. Right. Um, they do get like a peek inside these people's minds. And so they know, for example, that art teacher uh, is like literally seeing his students as tools to advance himself to then be discarded. Mm. Um almost every situation there are people who are losing their lives over what is happening so it always escalates to that point right right um but yeah like that i agree that the the principal offense is not quite the same as the first one that we talked about offline and i don't think anybody right. in the world would question that um if you're curious uh you can look up the plot of the game but i recommend playing it if you play yeah. video games it's delightful well, and I, th I think that I think the other piece of information you just gave me also there is very helpful because, like I said, to me, it's interesting. I think this kind of goes to how I'm going to look at any hero in these situations is once you once you decide for yourself that you have the right to appoint yourself judge, jury and executioner uh, and that you don't trust society to do it, I, I now become very it's very important to me to know where do you draw your lines and, and do your lines shift over time. Um, because like, to me, I'm imagining, you know, that could easily eventually become a bunch, you know, a high schooler saying, well, this teacher gave me a horrible grade and I'm now not going to get into the college I really want to this teacher now and, and it becoming a, you know, to, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to make fun of teenagers. I was the same way at mm -hmm. 16, you know, any teacher who didn't understand my brilliance must be out to get me in some way, or must be a terrible person and hate students or whatever it is. And I'm. I'm exaggerating here, but I, my point is that I think it's very easy to see the person who has wronged you in the most vicious light. Um, and so I think it's also to me, I am a lot more on board with this, knowing that part of the power is the ability to look inside that person's head. Because um, to give just a, like a counterexample, let's say that you do have that art teacher who is literally stealing the art of their students and selling it for his own financial gain. Let's also say that that art teacher's uh, wife has a terminal illness or an illness that is going to be terminal 
unless he can get the funds to um, raise the money to unless he can raise the money to pay for her care. We'll, we'll call um, him Fister Mees. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Um, does that make his actions justified? No. Does it make it a lot more sympathetic in a way that makes it a lot harder for me to say, let's wipe out his personality because he's fundamentally evil? Yes. Um, and and so, again, I think it, in some ways it feels like Persona 5 has created a situation where, yes, I think I'm on board with justifying it, but it's because it's jumping through a lot of hoops that I need a character to jump through. Because I right. think in those situations, if you don't have that ability to see the person's mind, if you don't have – especially if what you're literally doing is mind control and and forcible mind changing um, – it gets in, it gets into some really difficult issues. Yeah. Can, can you give me an example of a, a time where they decide not to use their power? Um. So interestingly, there is because the the existence of these individuals becomes publicly known, but not as a like, um, as a you know shadow organization called the Phantom Thieves. So they don't know who the public doesn't know who they are, but they start to cotton on to the fact that they must exist. Right. Uh, because one of the things they have to do is is very public um in that they have to like send a note to let the person know that they're gonna uh that they're on notice basically um so there's like a f- online forum and people are trying to like crowdsource things to point the phantom thieves at so there's actually multiple ins- I i can't think of a specific one because a lot of the ones that they curate are done with very quickly where they're all like read this yeah no we're not doing that that's yeah. just somebody trying to you know this is this is definitely not our bailiwick this is not what we're doing um because the only situations that you know we actually dive into that we dive into the meat of um are obviously the ones that move the game forward so they're going to have uh as as a narrative convenience right they're going to have some meat to them right um Although again, there's there's some some capacity for nuance there, and it's it's important to I think make the distinction that what they're actually what they're really kind of doing is they're jumping into the person's head and installing a conscience. Mm. Um, basically, like because what ends up happening is like they have the, in the narrative of the game, these people have the, a distorted view of reality, mm. right? Where they've they've come to see themselves as you know justified in the actions that they're taking. Right. Um, and what ends up happening after our heroes do their work is that they sort of like have an epiphany, right? They have a realization that what they've been doing this whole time is wrong. It's yeah. still definitely changing them because there's no way somebody changes like that overnight the way that, that it happens in the game. But Right. Yeah. Well, and here, like, I'm going to basically argue two different sides. <laughs> I'm going to argue against myself here because I, I can see a point both for and against. Um, the the against is um, one of my concerns is any time where the idea is we recognize that these people don't have a proper moral way of thinking. And so we're going to give them a proper moral way of thinking. That only mm-hmm. makes sense if there is an objective, proper moral way of thinking. And. We know that's not the case. We know that a hundred years ago, people thought that, you know, uh, there were a lot of things that people thought were objective and proper that today would be horrified by. And I'm sure that a hundred years from now, 
there are things that you and I have taken as ethical givens that, I mean, I, I hope to God someone's listening to this podcast in 100 years, talk about having a legacy, but I'm sure there'll be things that we say that they're like, well, of course, everyone now today knows that that's wrong. How could Matthew and Jacob have been behind that? Um, so I, I always kind of twinge at the idea of like teaching an objective moral moral way of seeing things. But on the flip side, I also wonder like, isn't that what all of prison rehabilitation is supposed to be doing? Um, right. This is you, like pushing fast forward on reformative justice, if you want to think of it that way. Right. And I I think for me, the difference is that on some level, and again, we're talking here about reformative justice, not the, the nonsense that most prisons do, but where it's actually trying to be like, you know, giving someone new life skills and, and helping them understand what turned them towards uh, acting out the way they do and helping them to change that, like, there's a part of me that wants to say the difference there is that the person still has some degree of agency, that you are pushing, helping them towards making the decision to live their life in a different way, but that it's still a decision they're making, and that these that agency is being taken away from these people. Um, but, you know, I don't know much about cognitive science, and maybe it's it, – it, it, we can get into a much deeper philosophical argument there. I guess I'm just right. – I'm going round and round because I think, I, I think at the end of the day it really comes down to – I think it's probably justified, but I just don't like it. Um, right. I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't like the, this particular situation. It's the whole reason I wanted to talk about this, right? Because yeah. here we're presented with, we, we can, we can fix them. Right. Um, and these are, these are situations where I really want there to be a fix, but is it acceptable? Right. Right. Uh, without, involving the other person in the process without their you know agency without them wanting to change right is well, it acceptable to just change them and i i think i will say this i i i'm going to try and play the video game at some point i'm not much a video game person but it sounds like the game has already decided for the character for you the player who you will and will not use this power against is that correct for the most part, there are like some side quests that you can choose not to do. Yeah. Um, but then you just don't get the rewards from them. So like, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I I think that 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 makes the most sense. I um, I, I'm asking that because I think a far more in, for me at least a far more interesting version of the game would have been if actually one of the most one of the biggest things you are doing in the game is choosing when and when not to use this power. Right. And the game, it wasn't like a right or wrong thing, but that it was a, you know, like in a lot of video games, you can take the white hat or the black hat to, to some extent or another, and your actions aren't right or wrong in terms of game points, but but there are consequences one way or the other. And, like, I think that would be a fascinating video game, um, you know, maybe to well, me and the other fans of this podcast, and it would never have any commercial success. <laughs> but, like, I, I would love that of, like, really the chance to explore, like, when do you make that decision? When do you not? Games have unfortunately uh, still not developed a very good morality system uh, like that. Uh, one of the better ones that I've interacted with was Mass Effect, but even that one has a lot of like comically villainous options for uh, one of the one of the ticks, one of the paths you can go down. It's uh -huh. just right, like at, at a certain point. The character's actions have to seem justified to me, and they don't, so, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, like, I would also really like it if you could have something dynamic that would adjust 
how you know how people interacted how how the world changed based on making these kinds of really heavy weighty decisions right and to a certain extent you do get that in uh, in mass effect for example because mm. you can choose to genocide an entire race wow. uh, for example uh, because there's a concern that that ra- a very real concern because it's inevitable that that race is going to be weaponized by another power mm-hmm. right um and yeah it's uh it's bad news yeah uh well and let's shift the conversation a bit because i think there are there are two really interesting fundamental questions at the heart of of this situation and at the heart of what we're talking about um with this example and, and others like it one of which is the the when is it acceptable to use a power like this but the other which we've kind of danced around but not really drilled drilled down on is the specific idea of the power of mental control and of right. being able to fundamentally change the personality of a person. Um, and it's an interesting one because it's, it's like, I've, I haven't seen this, but I, I've seen it obviously in a number of other shows because it's often posited, especially in science fiction of the idea of what if you can like reprogram a person. And my favorite example, and I think kind of, Fitting for you because the the first time you came on this podcast it was to talk about our shared love of the television show Babylon Five, yep. And in that show, one of the things that they explore is that there is that many years in the future a um new kind of punishment uh called death of personality, where instead of the um instead of the uh death penalty, what you do is you mind wipe someone and you basically reprogram them with a new personality and new memories and specifically make them part of the new society. Um, what's what let, let, we'll, we'll tie it back to the other conversation, but let's just start there. What's your take on the death of personality as a legal punishment in the Babylon five world? Boy, I found that particularly upsetting. Um, in like, <sighs> These stories usually present this kind of idea the way the B5 did, where it's, you know, the the courts have decided that this person is beyond any other form of corrective action, and previous societies would have decided on capital punishment, and this is intended as a replacement for capital punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it seems like it solves the call. It solve, It's there to solve the conscience of the punishers. In that particular case, not the Punisher, but, you know, the, the people right. meeting out the punishment, uh, rather than it is to actually try to do more good. Because, um, boy, this is going to sound incredibly callous, but at, at the end of the day, it's one life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not involving that person, just, just robbing them entirely of their agency. Again, like, this is it's, it's a perfect parallel right it's not a comfortable idea for me yeah uh, because it just like it seems all too easy and neat and clean and it's not actually solving it's not determining what caused a, that person to do these things and me, figuring out if there's something that we can fix to stop that kind of thing in the future it's going no this person bad this person have bad brain we're going to remove that and put good brain in and that yeah. just it doesn't sit well with me and it's – I feel like there's two kind of fundamental problems here, one of which is – first of all is the one that, that I, I keep going back to, which is who decides what's good brain and bad brain because right. when when the 
when the way it's framed, especially in Babylon 5, is very scary because it's talked about as, you know, clearly you are proven to have a mind that is detrimental to society. Well, okay, if you have a mind that makes you a sociopathic killer, I understand why we say this is this person is detrimental to society. Now, let's say you have a mind that says you need to blow things up because you think society is corrupt and evil. Now, let's say you want to stand on the corner and tell people that the society is corrupt and evil. Like, it is very easy once you start saying we're going to change the minds of people whose minds are bad for our society. Again, it's that where do you draw the line? Um, the other thing is I feel like it and, – and this is a much deeper metaphysical conversation that, that maybe is beyond the scope of this podcast for now. But, but maybe we can get into it a little bit is what is a person and what does it mean to kill a person? Because – I feel like in the in those examples of the from Babylon Five, and part of what makes the um, the episode so powerful is um, you wind up with a situation where we've we've met a character and we've really come to like them, and we think this character is a gentle, kind, good person who is obviously like a, 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 a you know a really beloved member of the show, and we learn that he used to be this horrible, terrible person, like a a, a mass murderer with just no. No moral sense of of right and wrong, um, uh, mindless killer kind of person, and then he went through this mind wipe, and now he's this other person, and he's a great person now. But to say this isn't the death, like I feel like the biological meat of that person is still alive, but if you kill the personality and install a new one is that actually morally different than the death penalty? Because what... I, I don't think it is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I agree. What, what makes a person is your, your experiences, right? Your, your, your thoughts, your, um, you know, it's what makes you you, right? It's not the, it's not this flesh. I'm, I'm going very Yoda on us, yeah. right? It's, <laughs> it's not this crude matter, yeah. right? Um, luminous beings we are. Uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's that, it's, it's that, that particular essence. And yeah, if you, if you wipe someone's entire personality, right, that is basically the death penalty. And so sort of rolling it back to the premise that justice system, ostensibly the good guys, uh, are doing what I think is a heinous thing, yeah. right? Um, I think it would. Might, I honestly think it might be better. It might have been more ethically conscionable to just terminate that person's life than to do what they do. I'm I'm with you only barely, but I, 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 I let me let me say this. I think I understand what you're saying, and maybe I just want to flesh it out a little bit. Because um, let me explain where I would come from, and I think you're in the same place. To my mind, the death penalty is always and forever morally wrong. Like, I just, I'm never going to be, and, I, and what I mean by that is death as punishment. You know, I think if death as self-defense and death as, you know, prevent imminent harm, I think is different. And to be avoided at all costs, but sometimes necessary. But death penalty to me is the person is not a threat, and we could keep them not a threat by keeping them locked up, but we are killing them because that's the punishment. Um, and to me, I think that is always wrong, and I feel like... The way in which I would say that this is almost worse is because I feel like it's an attempt to sanitize the death penalty. It's an attempt exactly. to tell – Okay, yeah. Then we're on the same page. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's an attempt to tell yourself we're not killing them because, look, we're 
we're keeping them alive. But you're right. It's it's the we are keeping the biomass alive and installing a new personality. And I, I mean, and and they covered this in the episode where uh, some of the relatives and 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 uh, relations of that person's victims are coming after the the new person, right? right. Who has no idea about any of this because he's not the he's not the person who did those things right right so on the flip side of this that individual uh if they're gonna do this that individual you know he's his own person and doesn't like he has none of the uh what's the word i want to say he he doesn't own any of the actions performed by the previous personality right i would say Right. And, and but I, again, it's just a physical body that's the same. And I think in, in the persona case, am I right, that it's not that thorough a death of personality. It's a kind of, you know, fiddling with the knobs of the morality of the personality, but that the, the core personality stays the same. Right. What what they do is is they go, you know, this bad thing that you're doing, uh, we're going to make you change your mind about whether or not that's acceptable. Right. Right. Yeah, and I, I will just say, well, I'll post a link to it. I, I think it is one of my favorite episodes of Babylon 5, the one we're talking yeah. about. Um, and we should, we'll definitely, um, uh, it's definitely worth watching because it's, it's, it, it is not just that it raises these good questions, but it's, it's a very beautiful episode in terms of the, the characters involved in the acting work and the dialogue, um, which is not something often, the dialogue especially, not something I often praise in Babylon 5. Um, yes, well, but sometimes, sometimes it's good. You know, like it, it, yeah. it waxes and wanes. Let, um, let's turn to what is, I think, kind of the the most preeminent example of mind control for the good that we see in um, genre media. And I know you had an example you want to talk about, uh, which is Professor X of uh, the right. X Men, because um, right. he's and uh, one of the earliest, earliest episodes with a guest uh, host, uh, Greg Haley. We we dove into Professor X specifically and how he's really. A lot of his behavior is very ethically questionable, um, and I think it. it tie, I think the obvious, the tie-in's obvious, but but make the connection for us. How how do you see Professor X uh, in regard to these questions? Well, I mean, you and I, of course, has of course have of course never ever talked about Professor X on this podcast <laughs> together. Um, yeah, it, it's it's the same kind of thing, right? Where what what Professor X does, his his power, right, his his ability extends to fiddling with people's brains um and sometimes it's you know just subtle suggestion and that's you know about as you know if, if a magician did it or if a, a mentalist or whatever did it we I, i'm like sure okay i guess you tricked them right but uh, sometimes it's just literally we rewiring people right um in one instance professor x decides to um just uh what's I have completely blanked on what the actual medical term for this is. He, he makes Magneto brain dead. He makes Eric Lancer oh, brain dead. Lobotomize. Lobotomize. Thank you. He, he just lobotomizes Magneto. Um, it's in retaliation for Magneto removing Wolverine's adamantium skeleton while it's still in Wolverine's body. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's a similar level of violence, but it is still, in my opinion, morally repugnant for a hero to be doing something like that because you're basically killing them, right. right it's the same thing without and, without the personality you're not that person and professor x and magneto to me is one of the best examples of you know one thing we talked about is that we find this okay in situations where 
there is clearly nothing moral and nothing justifiable about the actions of the, the evildoers. Magneto is the exact opposite. Magneto is a character who fundamentally believes that what he is doing is morally right and morally good and will save lives in the long run and will, you know, end injustice in the long run. And he's someone who, through his own personal experience uh, of the Holocaust, has certainly every reason to be incredibly afraid of the things that are potentially being done to uh, what he sees as the new version of the the the, the Jews or the oppressed or the outcast, namely the the, the mutants. Um, mm-hmm. Even to the point where, as we've talked about a couple times on this podcast, there are times where Magneto comes pretty close to crossing over from a villain to an anti-hero to just a straight-up hero. Um, and, and that, to me, he is very much in the Killmonger kind of realm of if a person walked out of an X-Men movie and said, you know what, I think Magneto was right, I don't. I wouldn't say, like, you know— uh, I wouldn't be able to say like, oh, you'd watch the wrong, you didn't get the movie. Like, I think it, I think that's a legitimate perspective to take to some extent. And all of which is to say, and especially since Magneto is fundamentally like challenging the authority of someone like Professor X, like, mm-hmm. you know, Professor, like a person who claims to be a do-gooder, loving father figure who knows what is right for everyone. And along comes Magneto and says, you are wrong. Uh, You're not the loving, good character you think you are. And Professor X wants to erase his mind? Like, that's that's everything we are afraid of. Like, that is Big Brother straight up there. That is, you know, know, questioning me is not good thought. Um, That's, yeah, that's terrifying. Um, And I think, I've not read that particular comic, but that sounds like Professor X at his absolute worst. Right, and it is, you know, to be to be clear, it is a situation where it's very reactionary on the part of, of Charles Xavier. Uh, and he feels bad about it afterward, as well he should, but it's still, it's a situation where, and here I think it ties into something else we were talking about earlier, where um, because Professor X has so many other tools at his disposal because of his power, the choice to do this act specifically, the choice to do the bad thing, now comes with a harsh judgment from me, right? He can do other things. The kids at Persona can't. Right. Right? But he could have done other things. And, like, yeah, Wolverine, well, Wolverine's going to survive because I guess he's basically immortal and can never die. But, like, you know, yeah, it, that was a bad thing that Magneto did, but just... The, the villain doing a very heinous thing doesn't justify then you doing a very heinous thing if you're capable of not doing that thing and still getting the result that you want, I guess is where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's very true. I think it's especially um, – and this is hardly an isolated incident. This is maybe the most extreme, but you know, Professor X's modus operandi is to try and control the minds of people he thinks are wrong. And, like, and, and sometimes it's physically like you know mind control to like freeze them in place or to stop them. But sometimes it is to try to kind of manipulate them, um, you know, uh, kind of <laughs> taking this from the, the extreme to the, the humorous and silly. But, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, literally mind controlling someone to tell them not to sell cigarettes and to go home and rethink their life choices. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I, there's an extent to which I cannot take anything from that movie seriously enough to make it an actual ethical question. Um 
But I'm still not sure I'm with Obi-Wan Kenobi there. You know, I don't think a world in which the Jedi go around waving their hands to get people to make better moral decisions. Um, And I think maybe it comes down to, and this is again sort of one of the things that's at the heart and soul of at least my entire ethical philosophy, which is agency, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and not to get too academic here, but in seminary, uh, when I was in grad school for religion, this is something we talked about a lot, that there's a... um, you know, that that religion is kind of at its worst when it's stuck in this very um, punishment-based morality, which is the idea of, like, if you steal, if you murder, if you do terrible things, you know, Sky Daddy will punish you. Um, That's not morality, because then you have no concept of something being right or wrong. You just have a concept of the benefit of doing the thing doesn't outweigh the horrors of the punishment. Um and that moral development in religion or in people or in anything should be a move towards the punishment isn't what matters. The matters is like, do you want to be a moral person and a moral person? Would they do that kind of a thing? Um, right. And I think Professor X isn't allowing like that. The, my problem with all of these things is you're preventing the harmful action and that's good. But you're also preventing any attempt at moral agency and moral growth. Um and, you know, in the Persona 5 situation, maybe I'm okay with it because it's so hard to justify. Uh, it's so hard to do anything else. But I, I, I continue to feel like if you can create a situation where a person is not an immediate threat, if there is even the tiniest hope of giving them a chance to have moral agency and to choose to not do that thing in the future, like as long as you can make sure they're not an imminent threat, I think that's what you have to do. Right. And I think it's, it's a great point. It's, it's very important to have that. And it's what makes the, is what makes the Persona 5 situation. It's uncomfortable. It, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it scratches a very weird itch, but it, it, it's a situation where we say, well, okay, this is a question of what's the least bad thing that could happen here. Right. Um, whereas with, with, uh, Charles Xavier, or if we want to go back to our Watchmen episode just a little bit ago, uh, with Ozymandias, like what else could he, if he was able to orchestrate that grand of a scheme, what else could he have done? Yeah. Right. Like there's so many other ways to have, have caused or to have maybe tried to influence world leaders into thinking that peace is the answer. So... And, doing the bad thing there doesn't seem justified. Right. And and that's where it, I feel like – I, I said this quote before, but I think it is such a perfect phrase that, you know, once you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, I, I – you know, like let's say, you know, it is morally imperative that you get to the place where you need to go on time, uh, you know, to save the thing. Well, okay, so if someone tries to – get in your way to, you know, stop you because they work for the henchmen. Okay, you can do violence to them. But what about the cop who pulls you over because you're speeding, because you're driving 140 miles an hour? Like, maybe you still need to get away from that cop, but but is that cop as morally killable as someone else? Like, I, I think what we see from a lot of our heroes, and especially a lot of villains, I think, actually are characters who have stopped remembering what that line is. And they've started thinking that they have the power to know what's right and good. Um, And I feel like if I have an overall frustration with a lot of the media we talk about, it's that 
I think a lot of time writers think it's okay to ask that question of the villain, but if we if we are supposed to ask the audience to think of a hero, this person's a hero, then you shouldn't morally question their actions. And that's where I I I, I often think genres go bad, and I I like it most when it's saying no, we should question the hero. I agree. And actually, that's a great segue into sort of the, the act three, the last sort of broad thing yeah. I wanted to talk about on this, which is wouldn't be one of it wouldn't be one of mine if there wasn't a meta topic. <laughs> so the so there anytime we are like these are stories, right? These are crafted by individuals for our for our entertainment and sometimes for us to chew on intellectually. And so when we are presented with these stories where we have a character who is got the stamp of good guy, this is the good guy in the story, right, on their forehead, what is the moral responsibility, what is the ethical responsibility of the writers to not have that character do bad? Or, if they're going to have to do bad, to have sort of a Watson-type character to challenge them on it? Right or or a, or a superhero team to challenge them on it, so that we know that. So we're not being presented with a story where we're being told, "Well, it's okay because they're a good guy." Right. I think that it it really depends on the genre. I think you know, in my ideal world, the writers are always asking those questions. But I also think it depends a lot on what are the writers asking you as the audience to think about. Um. And to some extent, it really depends on how much are the authors, the writers, already asking you as the audience to be part of the character's moral decision making. You know, um, and I'll give, like, you know, give two examples. Um, Daredevil, a fundamental part of the show is the character making moral decisions and wrestling with the morality of his actions. It's part of why it's probably my favorite piece of superhero media is because it does it so well. And why we used to talk about it so often on this show. Um, And so there I feel like when the writers don't do that, when the writers do have their character violate the the character's morality or or do something that seems problematic without acknowledging it, I've got real problems. Um, On the other end of the spectrum is like the movies of Deadpool. Um, Right. Deadpool are hilariously fun movies in which I root for a character who – I really like and I find, um, you know, enjoyable and a lot of fun and quotable. And if I stop to think about it from a superhero ethics perspective, 100% morally <laughs> reprehensible. And no, he's, he's ethically bankrupt. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But the writers are clearly saying, you know what? Grab some popcorn, sit down for a couple hours, turn your brain off and just enjoy a good story. And... um. This is the heart and soul of, again, one of the earliest episodes we did on this podcast about the um, the movie Desperado. Because I think Desperado, very much like um, Deadpool, for the most part says, violence, eh, maybe it's morally problematic, but damn, does it look pretty. Um, and, and as we talk about that podcast, at the end of the movie, they try to kind of have it both ways and a little bit ask a moral question. I think it kind of undercuts what part of the movie is trying to get at. Um, but... It, but and and I think there's a larger ethical question you could have of you know is any of that kind of escapist media okay? And I think I think there's a place for it. I think there's a place for movies like Deadpool, um, especially when I, as I think is happening, more and more they're becoming the exception. 
more and more we are getting movies where to some extent the the hero is almost always the heroes are wrestling with to some level the morality of what they do and a lot of times the writers forget that or make decisions that we don't think they understand what the character is doing and and this this podcast takes them to task a good deal but so I guess this is a very long-winded answer to your question, but the, the fundamental answer is I think 99% of the time I, I think it is that the author's responsibility to ask those questions and to for the writer to be cognizant of the moral choices the character is making. I think the only time when it's okay to avoid that is when the writers are very clearly saying, you know, any connection that uh, any decision our characters make might have to actual real-life ethical decisions is 100% coincidental and unintentional. Um, and, and that, that kind of gives them a permission to not do so. Right. It's the, it's the, uh, movie or, or TV show, whatever equivalent of the Grand Theft Auto games where one is, one is not supposed to be, is, uh, coming out of those games going, oh, we're okay with me controlling this person doing all of these morally repugnant things. Therefore it's okay to do them. Did the, that is a form of escapist media that is intended as parody or satire, right, of of real situations that would never be acceptable, right? Um, um, I, I will say I've never played those video games. I know that I have frequently read things that are deeply critical of them and, and are very critical of whether or not th- those games should be a lot more moral uh, and certainly whether or not they uh, – so my, well, and my, I, picked, my, I picked – Go ahead. Colon. I picked Grand Theft Auto on purpose uh, as as another segue because there are things that you do and that you're allowed to do, permitted to do in those games, where I think it sort of challenges this idea that if the media is presenting itself as something to just, you know, toss back popcorn or a beer or whatever and, and just enjoy it and don't take it too seriously, I think there's a line at which it's no longer acceptable uh, for for things that the characters do um especially if they're being portrayed as the good guys does that make sense yeah and i I guess i i would just say i there's enough controversy around grand theft auto that having never played it myself i don't want to kind of uh, i i I hear i hear your idea that it can be an example of that i just don't know enough and i want to kind of acknowledge that i think many people would strongly disagree with that with that sentence um but but i i get the larger point you're making whether or not that that example falls into that Right. I there there's people who are gonna disagree with us on some of the statements we made on the earlier things too. Oh, sure. So I, right. I, I'm sure um, there's there are people who think the Punisher is hundred percent justified yeah. in what he does. And there are people who think that the Deadpool movies are irresponsible because they teach, you yep. know, bad and I, I I think that's pretty far outside of our listener base, but you know, anything's possible. So if if that is your perspective, definitely write in and let us know. Um right. I know the last thing you had on this was about the AEW. Uh do you want to get into that? Right. So Again, uh, it's I got to pick this, so I'm going to talk about wrestling for a wrestling. Um, so as as we all know, wrestling. Uh, so wrestling does this thing where they have crafted scripted stories, right? With 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 scripted beats and and scripted spots. Uh, so those are you know, physical actions that characters are going to take at a particular moment or whatever to advance the story or advance the match or whatnot. That are within the conceit of the fiction real but aren't actually real it is it, we know it's fiction right right that being said 
Uh, at the most recent AEW pay-per-view, there's a character who's in a feud uh, with, with somebody. He's, he's the good guy in the feud because the other person uh, broke his arm in order to get at his brother, in order to get under his brother's skin, right? Um, and so they have a match because the guy who got his arm broke is mad about it, understandably, right? And there's, you know, that, that makes sense in, in the context of wrestling. That makes sense because you resolve issues by having a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you win, you were right or something. I don't know. It doesn't actually make sense. But it's fun, right? And it's it's a physical spectacle. That being said, uh, something I wanted to call them out on specifically, and I already have on social media, um, but there is a spot where his opponent's wife is at ringside, um, and he, uh, in order to aggravate his opponent, uh, goes over and kisses her. It's clearly not consensual. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly gross and disgusting, and it's not something that your good guy in your fictional situation should be doing. Right. And the fan response to this is particularly interesting to me, uh, because... There's people coming on from the perspective of, this is also a great segue into this because you talked about uh, Deadpool specifically, are basically viewing it in that same way. That it's fiction, clearly as the performer, the the actual person was consenting because this is a performance. Right. Right? Um, And I'm coming from the line of, yes, but the conceit of your performance is that this is a good guy, and you're saying that it is acceptable for the good guy in this story to do this to this woman just to agitate his opponent. Right. And I completely disagree. It made me feel like there was, like, I couldn't get behind it. I was like, well, I guess I'm rooting for the other guy, and the other guy is now the hero in this feud, because mm-hmm. that's, I he may have broken your arm, but you just did something way, way worse. Yeah, and I'm, like, I'm thinking about it, I feel like if Deadpool did that, I might walk out of the movie. Or at least right. certainly, I mean, I, I think even to me, even in something like Deadpool, there are still lines that are like, there's still a sense of like, what he's doing is like, I'm morally questioning how evil he's being towards the good guy. And, you know, he does think like the way, like, well, I guess, I mean, you know, I'm now remembering the advice that Deadpool gives the cab driver, which is pretty much, um, you know, some really horrific advice that I think borders on um, uh, real sexual abuse, sexual violence. Um I now I'm questioning my decision about that. I'm wondering if maybe uh, I should not be so defensive of Deadpool. Um, but but yeah, I I feel like in this situation that that is no matter what the context, especially because I feel like this is the exact opposite of anything we just talked about. You know, there is no sense of well they have to do this. You know, there's no right. no imminent harm is being prevented, um, especially because the person who's being violated isn't the bad guy. It's. I mean, this is the literal right. definition of innocent victim, collateral damage, third party. Um, so yeah, to me, that's a. Um, there's like eight different levels on which this, this example is is way over the line and not okay. Right, and it, the problem is, and there were fans at the live event who cheered in that spot, and it's because the wrestling industry has, you know normalized some forms of sexual violence like this as okay basically when you're doing it to bad guys right um over the years this is you know something that has been that you know some promotions have been trying to improve on this but i think it's important 
that we educate each other at every opportunity and use every opportunity to say why this is not something that that we should be condoning this is not something that we should be cheering for this is something we need to challenge them on yeah. and say you cannot do this and don't stop doing this this isn't acceptable what because what you're causing way more damage than that one pop was worth well especially because i feel like there's a, a, i mean the levels of misogyny on this are are, are legion uh and mm-hmm. and I think the the actual act of sexual violence uh, and non-consent is a huge one. I, I think there's another one, though, that I think is just as important, which is the inc- there's an incredibly misogynistic idea of, you know, that a woman belongs to a man. And that, like, the mm-hmm. way to, you know, doing something terrible to the woman, especially, you know, this idea of stealing a kiss, is that you're getting at that man. I mean, that goes to... All kinds of horrifically patriarchal ideas of, you know, first of all, uh, a woman's ability to be to be fidelitous and um, concepts of property and ownership over the women in your life. And what does it mean to kind of like take another man's woman and and just all of that kind of horrific bullshit. So, yeah, to to me, that's that's one that I think is I I like that as kind of a closing example, because we to me, that is an example of one where any any idea that. The, you know, if you could sort of have an internal character study of the character who does that, to me, this is a clear case where this is no longer there's no longer any justification of that. This is the thing you need to do to get the bad guy. This is where your personal feelings against that person have driven you to the point where, you know, this is just about vengeance. This is just about wanting the 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 visceral thrill of doing something to hurt somebody you don't like. Um, right. And to me, that is the Punisher. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. It, it is. That is deeply in the, you know, you you have let your sense of righteousness and of I, I have the power to do right, obliterate any kind of actual moral thinking that you should be doing. Right. The 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 right makes might mentality, while it is something that, you know, obviously is is higher in force for professional wrestling, because that's like that's why they have matches and that's why they fight each other yep it doesn't mean everything that you do must then therefore be right and it's irresponsible i believe to craft things into your story that should not be ever considered morally acceptable or ethically acceptable of those characters to do right yeah and and i think you're right it's not just that it's wrong of the characters it's incredibly wrong of the writers if they're presenting it as well and so what is you said there's been some fan response against it as well has there been much of like kind of have like been people been posting about this in in public forums of like let's call on the AEW to to change this or so or to boycott? There's, there's a there's a big back and forth on Twitter, um, but as is usual with wrestling, whenever it's it's always a slow burn. Whenever they're called out on something bad like this, you don't usually get. I would love if we did, but you don't usually get a yeah we shouldn't have done that. Our bad because. Uh, admitting fault as a promotion invites everybody else to come and shit on you or whatever. Like it's it's a bad stance, right? It's it's a it's a very sort of authoritarian ideology that needs to die um, in favor of being more, especially since they're supposed to be the more progressive woke promotion, right? right? That you can't do this then, yeah, right? I mean, you that's... can't say with one hand that we're going to be doing, and they they have done some progressive things. Um, Nyla Rose, the current women's champion, uh, is a trans woman. 
Mm. Or I'm, you know what? I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it. So if I if I did that, if I said something wrong there, please tell me, educate me. I'm willing to learn. And if, if you, it's not your responsibility to educate me. But if you feel compelled to yeah, yeah, light you, me you're up, speaking I don't to the care. fans there. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To 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 anybody who's listening, um, if that's not the right way to say that, I am deeply sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am still learning. Uh, and I intend to keep learning as long as I am able. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, so that, that is something, and they've taken a lot of flack for that too, from some, uh, fans with incredibly degenerate ideas about, uh, gender. Um, and so it's, it's sort of a three steps forward, but then five steps back situation, right? It's just like, you're, you're trying, but you're not, you're not seeing some of the things that you do that are harmful, they had like uh, a, they had a weigh in right for for two people going into this event, right? And part of the weigh in is just they had two women in underwear in the ring. They weren't characters. They weren't people in terms of of the story. They were there to be ogled. They were there as sexual objects. Mm. Also completely unacceptable. And I also called them out on that yeah. on Twitter. You know, not that they pay attention to me on Twitter, but it, it's been so. There's there's been some of that. But there is also a core of wrestling fans who unfortunately still haven't completely come around to the idea of these aren't things that are okay, you know, that want things back the way they used to be, that this was their safe space. This may sound a little familiar to you, uh, but, you know, this was their space, this was their playground to have their toys, right? Um, And no, Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's wrong. Mm and there are a lot of people who are trying to engage with this and it's not it's very damaging to, to have those people there and honestly if there were just some beefcake men, men there too who were also there to be ogled i'd honestly probably be okay with that but yeah that's just me yeah and that's uh, you know i i will say i i am continually glad that you're bringing up the ethical questions from um wrestling um i will say the, the, what you have brought to me continues to make me think that I'm making the right decision to choose not to watch it. Um, but that, yeah, it's a struggle because I, I, I do like to me, if that's what's happening in even the good kind of thing, then I think I, I, I can't make myself watch it, but I certainly know that there are other people, you know, I'm the one running around saying, no, there's good violent shoot 'em up movies. And a lot of people would say, no, the ethical choice is just to avoid all action movies. So I think that, you know, it's, it, I don't think there's a clear right or wrong on that. And I'm glad that you're continuing to bring that. Um, and it's, it's one of the things I think that you have, you have brought to the show is, is like I said, is expanding the range of things we looked at. Um, and so with that, I want to kind of segue into, I want to say one or two things about you kind of leaving the show. Uh, do we have any closing thoughts you want to talk about, about this particular topic? So I, obviously there's a lot more to talk about here. And I feel like this is a, this is a topic in the general that we've sort of touched on in multiple episodes because it does keep coming back. Some of the most challenging things are when our heroes, our protagonists, do things that we call into question. Right. And so I just, I wanted to have a, a platform to talk about it here. And I think we've we've covered some of the, the big hit stuff, but there's a lot more, uh, a lot more media that I have and have not seen to have these examples in them, and some of which I've not thought of. Um, and if there's any... Uh, if there's any engagement online on this, I would love to be a part of it because I, this is, this is at the core of one of the things that, um, 
that really brought me into superhero ethics really wanted me to to talk about these things it's why i wanted to bring kingdom come into the mix because there's some ethically questionable things that heroes do in there and so it's it's when we have that sort of messy gray ugly area where our good guys aren't always doing you know perfectly good you know truth justice and and uh the ex- uh international expansion of the warsaw pact uh <laughs> it's from it's from red sun uh, yeah so but but they are, are always doing that right um it's yeah it, it's it's just like one of my favorite central themes and i'm really happy we got a chance to sort of dig in a little bit and, and scratch the surface on this topic yeah, I'm, I'm glad, too. I think this is a really good one. And I, I think that this is probably uh, – it's a nice way to kind of define your legacy on this podcast because I think this episode is one that I'm going to be referring back to a lot because, as I said, it's, it, it's foundational to so many of the other topics. Um, and so um, we, we, are, we have gone a good long while, but I think a lasting part of your legacy is going to be episodes that go way longer than we ever intended them to, <laughs> um, although that was certainly a part of the podcast long before you came along. Um, but so let me just ask you kind of like a couple kind of closing questions. And, and, and one of the first one was going to be, um, what, what do you think is, if you have kind of a, a, a core message that you kind of want to leave superhero ethics with, what, what is kind of, you think you're kind of your, your mission statement as a superhero ethicist? Mm. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I guess my mission statement would, would, come in a couple of pieces uh because as we both know i'm a man of very few words uh and so i'll be very brief <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh but uh the first is a challenge right uh when when there are things that you are consuming stories that you are consuming remember that there are people behind those stories that may or may not be aware of some of the implications of of what they've presented and i think it is important always to challenge and the onus is not on you to 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 educate them necessarily but i do think that there is a there's a compulsion to take action um in in order to try to advance good in the world in some way Mm. and if and if what you accomplish there is just you've You've taught one Hollywood writer that there's something that they can't actually say in their script because it means this incredibly damaging thing. That is fantastic. Um, and this goes into something very relevant for the uh, for the our U.S. listeners. Uh, vote. I know that the primary the the primary season is sort of uh, already winding down, and there's a lot of people saying that you know it's it's basically already decided. Um, you should vote for who you believe uh, will. If, if you're if you're going to be voting in a Democratic primary, you should vote for who you believe is going to be uh, the best candidate, uh, the person who you think is going to advance the causes you believe in. Because even if they don't get that nomination, they will. That will help sculpt the narrative because that whoever gets a nomination is going to want your vote, mm-hmm. right? And so one way your voice can be heard is by participating. Uh, if if you're a member of of the the other political ideology, your primary means not as much in terms of the presidential primary. 
because it's ba that one basically is already decided. Uh, I'd be shocked if if it weren't uh, Donald Trump coming up on the on the card for uh, the Republicans. Mm -hmm. But um, I still encourage you vote in in your elections. Yeah. Uh, vote in and uh, educate yourself on what politicians who are running for office what they represent what what they what they're saying they're going to do um and if there's somebody who's already representing you that is doing something you disagree with uh, right they, they used to say write your senator i'm not sure how much that works but some of them apparently do respond yeah uh so i guess i'm encouraging people to to be more active uh, to try to again affect the kind of positive change we want to see in the world. This is sort of central to the the be super idea yeah. that that we've talked about. That um, I'm I'm terrible. I completely forgot his name. Uh, her, um, but you had her her name. Uh, yeah, her name. Uh, I, I oh, being super was oh no. Okay, I, I was thinking of a of a different guest that we had on, but you're right. I I got that crossed. Yeah, it is a uh, Kara Crystal, I believe. Uh, I'm looking up now the the exact person who who does it. Um, yeah, and I, I think though that that's a great message because, uh, uh, especially because what so much of this comes down to, th there's often a, uh, an idea in our stories of, um, you know, that, uh, you know, these people are so strong and can do so much that what do I need to do? And there's actually some of my favorite superhero stories are some of the newer ones, um, where they really go into this idea of, um, well, you know, why would I? Why should I bother becoming a cop if Superman can just come and uh, uh, save these things and things like that? And so I think that that's a, um, uh, uh, it's a really good reminder of like we are all superheroes in a way. We all have that power to do something. Um, I guess the the next question I'd have for you is what's a way in which you've been challenged by this project? In like you've had a um, uh, anything about your kind of understanding of morality or or, or uh, perspectives and anything that's that's been changed? Oh, I wish you had prepared me for this. <laughs> nope, off the cuff, um, off the cup. <laughs> oh, goodness, off the cuff, huh? Um well, I one way I've been challenged by this podcast in, is in uh what I, is in how I expend my free time. <laughs> oh, <very laughs> but, uh, you you but, will no uh, longer have me poking you to go, "Have you watched this yet? Have you watched this yet?" <laughs> I, that's not true, and you know it. Well, uh, also because you're still you're still going to want to talk with me about it. Yeah. You're just not going to want to record us for two hours talking about it. Well, you are going to want to. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we're ever on a road trip, we'll probably still do those. Definitely, because uh, I'm I'm a captive audience. Um, but I guess who I guess when we started, um, you know, I and I still do very much uh classify myself as a pacifist um but one of the ideas that we've we've talked about the 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 punch a nazi idea right um the the idea that sometimes in order to enact change some more drastic measures have to be applied you know that that's something i've been challenged by and yeah. i've i've thought you know am i am i actually you know limiting myself by not wishing to engage in these situations and engage in these confrontational situations um, because I'm more reserved, because I'm I'm someone who doesn't want to uh, engage in conflict in that manner. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, I, I do 
digest a lot of violent media and it's made me think because we've we've talked a lot about violence in media it's made me think about you know if that's my personal stance well then why do i still consume these things why do i still enjoy these things and you know obviously i'm i've gone even deeper into that end uh but it's sort of that challenge has helped me explore my understanding yeah of how violence is used as a narrative tool in stories and the ways in which it can be it can generate that needed catharsis in stories where you've presented the audience with something that's very upsetting yeah right and the only way to really get that impact in that story often is just to have some physicality uh to, to make that connection that very visceral connection i i think that's um, oh sorry go ahead yeah, 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 no, no, no. That's I, I was basically just rambling. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a very good way of putting it. And it's um, again, not to keep quoting my other podcast, but on that same episode I just mentioned of the Star Wars Universe podcast, um, uh, Ricky made a, a a point that I that really resonated with me that I think is kind of relevant to this here, which is that there's a there's a middle ground between saying you know, punching Nazis is great, and I want to punch Nazis, versus saying. I could never punch a Nazi. Punching Nazis is wrong. And that there's room to say, I don't think I could. And it, it kind of goes back to the thing about the heroes and their personal values, that there's a place for the person who can say, this particular action is over the line of what I can do. And I think that I better serve justice and I better help people by not crossing that line. But that I recognize that we sometimes need a person who can cross that line. And I'm glad someone else is able to cross that line, and I'm not going to judge someone else who crosses that line. Um, and I, I, I think that's one of the things that you and I have talked about a good deal as well, is that when we're, we're, we're drawing these lines, it's not that we think that there's any one line that's being drawn for everybody, but that it's that this is more about understanding where can I draw my line and and keeping some understanding that someone else might draw their line because they've had a very different life experience than I have, and that maybe... The, the fact that they cross my line doesn't mean that they're wrong. Right. Well, good. Well, um, uh, the last question I had for you is, what's the one that got away? Is there is there a topic where you feel like you had something to say on this episode, on an episode, and now a couple months or, or, or longer later, you wish you could revisit it because you, you feel like you've changed your mind on something or, or, or something has... That, that there's something where you now have a new perspective that you you wish you could go back to. Well, there's one where we got uh, very rightly challenged by a fan that I, that comes to mind. Um, we didn't we sort of revisited it in that we covered it audibly on the podcast, but uh, it was a situation where we were talking about uh, people like Colin Kaepernick um, and Martin Luther King, and ultimately were were like I was coming down on the side of you know this person still did good and if there's something horrific that that person did you know don't let it take away the good thing that that person did right and it sounded very much like i was just apolo- be- being apologetic right for uh, a person that that hypothetical person um which i regret because that's that wasn't what i intended but i listened to the episode and that 100% is how i came across uh, so that one that one I always, I feel like if I could go back and re-record that, I would have articulated better um, and and really made it a point to say, 
absolutely challenge this person and, and, and not accept those bad things as acceptable by any means from them. Um, but the in the context of the conversation we were having, I was too wrapped up in the no, the whole like the whole protest in the NFL is incredibly important because it's about people's lives and people are trying to make it about something else. Right. And I don't understand why anybody could take this as a position of anything other than right. So it was it was framed in that way. Uh in terms of a slightly less heavy topic, um you know, we were going to have uh, an episode where I was on with um, somebody who actually worked on some AI. Mm. Uh, I was really looking forward to that. Um, not sure if that's actually going to be in the cards, but uh, that's that's something I'm going to regret for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to regret not being able to talk about uh, latter season Supernatural <laughs> in more detail with you. But uh, I understand that you've taken a very firm stance on uh, where you think that show ends. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the actual end of the show. Yeah, well, you know, so. um, if, if one of my goals is to get you back as a um, – let me put it – actually, let me say it this way. Um, I think that on behalf of the greater good of the star, of the superhero ethics listening community, that it is important that I work towards the goal of getting you back on as a guest. And as we've just discussed, sometimes in the, in the furtherance of a goal that will benefit many others, it is sometimes ac- acceptable to slightly bend your own integrity. And so if it will get you on as a guest again, I will watch a couple episodes of last season Supernatural so that we can get you back on to talk about it. Oh, boy, you're <laughs> going to be so lost. But, like, honestly, I'm really enjoying this JRPG season where they... Uh, <laughs> Well, no, seriously, because their villain is God. Yeah, like they have to kill God. Like it's a it's a Japanese RPG trope. It's very great yeah. and wild, and I can't believe this is where they were going. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think they're going to win either. Mm-hmm. So, hot take. Okay, hot take. I think the Winchesters die. Yeah, uh, at the end of it, and uh, it's a tragic ending okay well but we'll, we'll see we'll find out we'll find out yeah <laughs> but but yeah I, th- I think we're gonna have a number of ways to get you back on at, at various points in time um for sure i will also say i, I thank you for bringing up the, the 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 example you used um you were not the only one who misspoke on that one i i may i similarly um discounted the possibility of um con kaepernick uh uh committing domestic violence uh and 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 did not give it the importance it should have and that was one that i'm also very grateful we got called out on um so um, Jacob, I know you can't quite tell us yet where you're going, uh, and I'm gonna, uh, in a, probably by our next episode, Jacob will be able to disclose what he's doing next, and I'm gonna have him record, uh, you know, a, a minute or two about that so that listeners can, um, can follow that. Um, but certainly, uh, you'll still be able to be reachable on Twitter, I believe? Yep. Still gonna be, like, I'm not, now that I'm on Twitter, unfortunately I can't, like, leave that that's a thing you sign i guess is that you can't be twitter <laughs> yep. on twitter um but yeah i'm still going to be at bots are people too uh and the the r is the letter r the rest of it is exactly as it sounds yep. uh yeah well well thank you yeah so you can reach jacob that way you can reach me at caped ethicist or you can reach uh, both of us at the superhero ethics twitter we also have a facebook page and group um, and, and we have a, uh, superhero ethics at gmail.com. And I want to, 
I always encourage our listeners to write in to any of those to tell us what they thought about the episodes. Um, but I'd also like to help you. Uh, I'd also like to ask you to help me in um, paying tribute to Jacob and the great contribution he's made to this show. So if you get a minute, um, if you have a favorite moment of Jacob being on the show in terms of an idea he had or a comment he made or something ridiculous he said that you always have kind of laughed about, um, any of those, um, send, send it to us in one of those. Because I, really, I think that'd be a really fitting uh, way to kind of wrap up Jacob's time with us. Um, because as I said, you've made such a great contribution to the show. You have made me better as a podcaster, as an ethicist, um, and been a great friend and will continue to be a great friend, obviously. Um, but we are definitely, uh, I, I wish you all the well, all the best in what you're doing next, but we will miss you, um, quite a bit. And so, um, obviously, uh, friends, you can get all that information on our show notes, as well as information about our, uh, Patreon and information about where to buy, um, t-shirts and mouse pads and all sorts of great things with, to show your love of superhero ethics. Uh, on behalf of myself and Jacob, thank you all so much. Have a great day. Yeah.